With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Well, welcome everyone to the first post-race F1 Nation podcast. Isn't it amazing? And what a fantastic Grand Prix, Tom, Natalie with me to talk about it and talk about every aspect of what was a great season opener. Absolutely, Damon. It is now 10 past 11 local time in Bahrain. I'm still buzzing from that race. It was brilliant. It delivered as we expected and hoped that it would. Nat, I loved it so much. I haven't left the track, and I'm being serious. <laughs> I am still at the track at 10 past 11 at night. I'm in a shoebox. Everyone tells me I'm sounding a bit echoey, but the buzz about this place is still fantastic. As they head towards turn four, Hamilton's going to force Verstappen the long way round. By the time they get to the corner, he's about a third of a car in front. By the time they get out of the corner, he's a whole car in front. Max Verstappen is ahead of Lewis Hamilton. Okay, for the moment, let Lewis through, let Lewis through. He's giving it back because he took the position off the racetrack. Has Verstappen lost his chance now? He starts this year going for a record-breaking eighth world championship. He has been put under immense pressure by Max Verstappen and Red Bull here tonight. Sir Lewis Hamilton, as he is now, crosses the line and wins the Bahrain Grand Prix. Hey, guys. <laughs> Amazing job. I'm so grateful. Everyone back at the factory. They were working so hard, I know it's, we're not quick enough. We managed to do it, and that's teamwork. Max Verstappen and Red Bull come home to take second place. They were the pre-race favourites, but by the slenderest margin of just seven-tenths of a second, they've been beaten by Mercedes tonight. I just absolutely loved it, and what I loved was the quality of the performances all the way through the field, but particularly at the sharp end. It was, I would say, it's one of those defining races that they will talk about in years to come because it set it up. It was like Michael Schumacher when he arrived in Formula One. You know, Max Verstappen, there you are, the young pretender against the established seven times world champion going for his eighth, Sir Lewis Hamilton, who was on spectacular form. It felt like an old school Grand Prix to me. Yes, we still have DRS, but... In terms of how it played out, the unpredictability of it, and we saw both cars, and I'm talking about the Red Bull and the Mercedes, driving flat out. And that's one of the points that Andreas Seidel made after the race. The McLaren boss said, you know, the biggest thing for us is that we were only, with Lando Norris in P4, 45 seconds behind the race winner, and they were going flat out. There was no, none of the sort of cruising that we used to have to do on the old spec Pirelli rubber, they were hard at it. And, and it just, it gave it an edge that we haven't seen for a while. Even Turkey last year, that brilliant Grand Prix in the wet, because it was in the wet and there was so much carnage, it was a little bit wacky races. Whereas this is just old school, premium Grand Prix racing. And something that really struck me was just how 
uh, happy, elated Toto Wolf was. Because if you think about it, they've kind of had it their own way for a long time. They definitely went into this race weekend on the back foot. So to win was... A, you know, almost a coup for them, you know, because they, they, they tried something a bit different with the strategy. They could be a bit more creative, take a few gambles. It didn't pay off with Valtteri, but for Lewis to bring it home in the way that he did, and he said he felt a massive amount of pressure from Max, and there was no doubt about it because he made that mistake into turn 10, didn't he, where he locked up and went wide, and you thought, oh, Max has got this now. I don't know what your thoughts are, though, Damon. Do you think he should have given the place back? Do you think perhaps he should have done it on the pit straight where it wouldn't have cost him so much? Yeah, I think Max will look back at this race and think about maybe how he could have done it differently. But nevertheless, he got suckered in. Lewis absolutely sold him a dummy and he went he went for it. He went around the outside and Lewis knew exactly what he had to do. The moment Lewis moved to the right-hand side after passing the back marker, I thought, that's a bit strange. It's, he's opening the door wide open for Max. And of course... What he did was he put Max back in a defensive position where he had to actually, um, it looked great going around the outside of Lewis Hamilton, a very tempting offer. Thank you very much. But of course, Lewis knew he, all he had to do was use up all the track and squeeze Max. And then Max had the pressure on him because he knew he had to give it back. And maybe he gave it back a little bit too soon. So we'll look back on that race. He'll be going home now and actually thinking uh, to himself, damn, damn, I should have, I should have done this. I should have done that. Lewis, meanwhile, will be thinking, gotcha, you've still got a few more things to learn. What about the track limits, the inconsistency and the application of them? I found that quite frustrating as a fan of the sport because there wasn't clarity from the off. And you heard those team radios saying, well, you know, exploit the fact that they're not coming down hard on track limits. And then it seemed to change mid-race. Yeah, that's, that was a hot problem all weekend, wasn't it? It was on, it was off, it was on, it was off. And, and I think that's, uh, that's not very acceptable. Um, you've got to have a fixed rule. I think there could be a justifiable complaint from from Max that it was a little bit inconsistent and that Lewis, and I hear that there are reports of people trying to point out the number of times that Lewis ran wide on that corner. 29 times. Well, according to social media. (laughs) Is that right, Natalie, or is this uh, the FIA? Social media, you're right. (laughs) So lots of cars were running wide, perhaps. um, But it's the advantage you get. If you actually can run wide and pass someone, then that is obviously clearly a uh, a sustainable advantage that perhaps uh, is going too far. Well, I think both guys knew going into what was it four laps from the end they both knew that they couldn't run wide so that the whole argument that oh it was inconsistent yes it was inconsistent but both drivers knew the score on that lap and therefore everyone says max ran wide whereas if you look at a replay lewis pushes him wide he knew exactly what he was doing he knew that if he could push him wide, he'd have to give the place back. So I just saw it as brilliant racecraft. And I, I get slightly fed up with the whole track limit thing because, I, A, I hate track limits. And, and it's wonderful that the next two races are at Imola and Portimao, where the track limit at both places is either grass or gravel. There's none of this asphalt. So we don't, it won't be a problem there. But I, I feel that both drivers knew the score and track limits isn't in any way an issue when it came to this overtake and, and Lewis Hamilton just exploited it to the nth degree. And it, I felt there was an experience difference between the two guys there that came through today. What do you feel Damon in terms of being the hunter or the hunted? 
You know, I know that, that Lewis made quite a big deal of this this weekend about how excited he was to finally have some competition and and uh, the target to be on someone else's back for once. How do you feel as a racer? Uh, which is the better scenario? You're, you're kind of comparing it to uh, the Serengeti Plains, aren't you? You know, would you like to be a gazelle or would you like to be a cheetah? You know, it all depends on whether or not you're pulling away. If you're on the front and you're pulling away, it's fantastic. When you start sliding back or the guy behind is starting to close in on you, it's very uncomfortable. And that's why I think this is one of the greatest drives from Lewis Hamilton because he never looked like a favourite all weekend. He hadn't didn't look like a favourite from before we got the launch of the car. Martin Brundle referred to his kind of sullenness and grumpiness when he turned up. It looked like there was a bit of a dispute going on and maybe they weren't, it wasn't a happy camp at Mercedes, you know, and then he gets to the circuit, does the testing. They had problems. It was all building up to be a case of Oh dear, the the pendulum swung in the favour of another team because that Red Bull RB16B is an absolutely beautiful car and it looked so superb. I bet there were people who put money on Max Verstappen winning that race. But Lewis stopped it. He stopped the rot. And that was an exceptional performance under pressure, being preyed upon, being hunted down and keeping his cool. And when Max pounced, uh, Lewis still had a couple of tricks up his sleeve. Just fantastic. So, Damon, hunter or hunted? What do you mean? Am I hunted? Am I hunted? Or am I haunted? Am I haunted? I'm very haunted. I don't think anyone's after me. The answer is, you're right, I'm avoiding the question. The question is, I would like to do the hunting. Who wouldn't? You know, who wouldn't like to go out there with a, with a blunderbuss and the gun, <laughs> go and track? By the way, I'm vegetarian, so I don't go hunting anything. But, but I mean, um, so, you know, the idea of catching the bloke and overtaking is much more appealing than sitting there being preyed upon. You don't want to be someone's dinner. OK, so who had more pressure on them in those closing laps, Lewis or Max? Max was loving it up to the point where he closed in and he got DRS and that was absolutely fantastic. But he bungled the pass, if you like. He bungled the opportunity. I think this was maturity, cool-headedness, a guy who's not only won more than anyone else, but he's done a lot of racing and has a lot of racecraft. And I think Max will go away from this race and think, this guy is not going to let me have anything easily. And that's and it's terrific for the sport because, you know, you're looking at the, the wise old owl now in, in, in Lewis versus the young pretender. And he's, uh, you know, he's going to have to work really hard to overturn Lewis. I love the line after he crossed the line. I can still do it, Bono. It's sort of almost like it, it sort of reaffirmed in Lewis's mind that he can still do it. I remember being told that Michael Schumacher used to have one test day at the start of every season at Fiorano when he was at Ferrari, in which he would just drive round and just remind himself that he could still do it. It's almost like the older these guys get, the more they need that little reassurance. It's an extraordinary thing for Hamilton, given his level of success. I know, but I feel like he's being tested in different ways and he's enjoying it for that. It's a bit of a game of cat and mouse. It's a different type of challenge than he's used to. And he's enjoying finding a different skill set maybe than he's been used to. Because, you know, we've, we, we always talk about the Mercedes pulling away and being able to lead from the front. And this was a very different challenge for him all weekend. They have been on the back foot. And psychologically, I think he's really enjoyed sort of raising his game, if you like. I, I'm always so impressed by Lewis that when the pressure is really applied, you see his true class and talent shine through. And I think that's why he's still addicted to this and why he will no doubt 
I believe, go for more titles. I mean, it's a stupid thing to say he's extraordinary. He is extraordinary. He always has been extraordinary. But what is fantastic is when he starts to dig deep. And I think for a long time, he hasn't had to dig deep. He's had it too easy. And and there's been a little bit of robbing from him in this, in the terms of what do you say to someone who says, yeah, but he's got the best car and, and Valtteri's not putting pressure on him. What can you say? It's true. And so he needs this. He absolutely needs this opportunity to show him and show us and show everyone and show himself that he's got this extra gear. He's got this other level. And that's what we want to see because it is exciting. And I think that it is one of the best season openers we've had for a very long time. I'd say that is the best Grand Prix I have watched in five years. Before we move on, a big welcome back to Harry's, a great supporter of F1 Nation. It's great to have you back in 2021. So, Pinks and Damon, I've got a question for you. What's the best facial hair you've seen on the grid, past or present? I can't look beyond Damon's goatee. For me, that is everything. He is this (laughs) wily old badger. Not a fox, a badger. I remember being massively disappointed when Nigel Mansell shaved off the tash. I was like, no, you can't do that. Yeah, it was was a bit of a broom, wasn't it? I mean, it was, Mm. you could almost sweep the floor with that thing. It was massive. So why do you ask? I want to give our listeners some inspiration as to what they can conjure up if they get their hands on a trial shaving kit from harrys.com. So Tom, do you think it could tidy up my beard? Well, it would help, but I've always admired your straight edges, Damon. But here's the thing. You can get hold of a trial kit for just £3.95. And that includes five precision engineered blades with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade. You'll get a weighted ergonomic handle for added comfort and grip and a rich shave gel to leave your skin in tip-top condition And it doesn't stop there. You're going to get a travel blade cover to protect your kit. Well, there you go. Get started shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your trial set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five blade cartridge, foaming shave gel and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash F1 Nation right now. That's harrys.com forward slash F1 Nation. You'll have to trim that down. (laughs) (laughs) Some great drives tonight. Perez, Norris, Noda. Where do you want to start? I mean, I think the drive of the day went to Perez, didn't it? But I I think, honestly, Lewis should should have got it. But there was some great performance. Fernando Alonso, what an amazing comeback. I mean, never looked weak or out of his depth. Really great start. And do you know, Lance Stroll... He didn't get enough of mention because he did an amazing job this weekend. He showed that that car could be reasonably competitive and they, they had a few tactical problems, I think, but um, a very good performance. He's quite tough on himself because even when he has a good race, he plays it down in the pen, don't you think, TC? You almost have to sort of buoy him up afterwards and go, there's so many positives from this weekend, you know. You qualified well, you raced well, the car's shown some pace. You know, it's very difficult to get a read on this car after testing because it was so limited in the reliability issues. But actually, there were moments throughout the race, as Damon says, where, you know, it showed real promise and he should be excited and proud of himself. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think he's had... What has been a, a very difficult weekend for the team, I think Lance Stroll has had a, a stellar weekend. He's put 
uh, Sebastian Vettel in his box comprehensively. And I'd love to know the dynamic in that team right now. You know, where's it at? Who, who was leading the debrief after the race? Whose comments were most important? I think Lance Stroll was leading the way, wasn't he? And, and Sebastian Vettel was probably thinking about that move on Ocon and thinking, yeah, I'll, I'll just keep quiet for a minute, I think. No, I mean, I have to say, when, when, when Sebastian Vettel was asked if he um, wanted to come away from Bahrain with any points, he wouldn't have said, yes, five penalty ones, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and who's had a tussle and a tangle? It's the Alpine of Esteban Ocon and it's the Aston Martin of Sebastian Vettel. Ocon is ahead, going into the braking zone and Vettel locking up. Can't do anything to stop going into the rear. Why did he have to change line? I lock up, he changes line. Sebastian, what happened in that moment with Esteban? Well, I was sure he was leaving me space on the left, but then he crossed back and as soon as I was behind him, I locked up and... Yeah, couldn't avoid to, to hit him straight. I have my concerns about Sebastian and I've had concerns about him for some time. I think he'll be so dejected after um, this weekend because it just couldn't have got worse, could it? It was really sad for him. I want him to come back and be positive, but it all seemed to be going negative on him uh, this weekend. So let's hope he has a better season. Uh, Pinks, Pinks, I'm trying to think, what is your first question to Sebastian Vettel after a weekend like that? It was a weekend that he didn't deserve. You know, this is a four-time world champion going back into the sport, joining a team that we all want to see on the grid. You know, Aston Martin, such an iconic brand. And, you know, you just wanted him to come back with a spring in his step, get his mojo back after a very difficult year with Ferrari. And it really couldn't have gone any worse. And I really try. I try so hard to find the positives in the pen because... Honestly, you know, none of the drivers, they're the best in the world. They work so hard. They give up a lot. Okay, of course, they're well paid and they live rock star lifestyles, but they deserve to get great results. And actually, that just didn't happen for Sebastian today or all weekend, in fact. And I actually think that this car is better than it looked on track. And he is obviously way better than he showed today. Having been on the other side of... It couldn't have got any worse, could it? Interviews, you know. I have to say, Natalie's job. I didn't. I wouldn't want that job. My dad was famous for for having uh, short words for anybody who asked him stupid questions, and he he gave rather pithy answers. I'm not sure he'd survive in today's world, but we have to do it. I mean, it's an up and down business. But Sebastian Vettel, oh my God, it's like watching that Mexican game at a party, isn't it? The children's party game, the piñata. You know, he is getting beaten to a pulp. Everything that can happen is happening to him. It's awful to watch. You know, I do feel sorry. There's something got to shift in his psychological kind of in his constellation somewhere <laughs> he needs to go and see a mystic and and go and have some sort of evil spirit removed from him in some way this he's done something wrong <laughs> to deserve this you don't nobody gets that much awful luck yeah, it's been a really tough one for him i mean can you pinpoint the moment when it started to go bad i know a lot of people talk about hockenheim 2018 when he crashed whilst in the lead can one incident like that affect you so much that you do actually lose something? I was half joking. I mean, I think there is some sort of psychological balance tipping point thing. And I think that if you feel on your heels, if you feel a little bit uh, tentative about anything, it's like rugby tackle. You know, you cannot go in half baked. And if he's feeling like 
the punishment he's been getting and the, and the bruising he's been getting is worrying him, then I'm afraid it just gets worse. There has to be a kind of jettisoning of all of those bad negative feelings. Once he's done that, I mean, he's got all the ability in the world. You know, he could race at the front with, with Lewis and, and with Max. Take it on to the McLaren drivers because I feel like that was a really strong weekend for them, particularly for Lando Norris because he won't have enjoyed being outqualified by his teammate, albeit by the smallest of margins. You know, this is his team now, and Daniel Ricciardo has come into it as a more experienced driver. But you have to say that the pressure's on Norris to really deliver this season. He raced so well today. That is P4, P4. Well done, great job. All right, nice job. Were the fireworks for me? They can be. He played that down to me in the pen after the race. Said, oh, you know, I want to beat everyone, not just my teammate. Come on, you know, Damon, the one person that you want to beat is your teammate. And he did that today. And the other thing is, you know how cheeky Daniel Ricciardo can be, can't you? I mean, Natalie, you know him quite well. He can rub it in if he wants to. So next time they go into the debrief room and next time they go to a, to a meeting or pre-race briefing, Lando will just go, yeah, well, I, I beat you in the last race, didn't I? He's got that in the bank. That's a great start for that relationship because, I, I mean, there's no way that Daniel Ricciardo is going to be over walked over by, by Lando Norris. It's going to be tight between the two of them. But as I said in the in the pre-race show, in the pre-season show that we had, the F1 Nation pre-season show, I said, if Lando Norris can take even a few nicks off of Daniel Ricciardo's reputation, then he'll have done a fantastic job because he's new to this sport. Daniel Ricciardo is not new to this sport. He's a very experienced driver, feisty driver with race wins under his belt. So not an easy not a pushover by any uh, stretch of the imagination. When do you stop being new to the sport, though? This is Lando's third season. Let's not forget that Max Verstappen was winning races in his second season of Formula One. No, but he's, Max has done how many races? He's done 100 and something races, Max. You know, and he hasn't won a world championship yet. You're right. When does it end? When does the beginning end? And I think probably season three. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I think it was good for Lando that the season started here in Bahrain. It's always been a really strong track for him. He won here in Formula Two. He was brilliant. He got his first points in Formula One here back in 19. He was very strong last year at this track as well. So I think it was important for his confidence and his sort of stature within the team that he got off to a good start. But old Ricardo, he's a wily old fox and, and he will, he's a slow burner. He's a slow burner. Back in, when he started with Renault, he didn't immediately set the world alight and it just got better and better. And the momentum will build for Daniel. And so I think it was important he was checked here. Before we move on, here's a quick shout out to one of our sponsors. Have you ever wanted to explore the world of stocks and shares, but just found it needlessly complicated? It can make you feel like you need a finance degree just to get your foot in the door, can't it? Well, Free Trade is on a mission to make investing simple for everyone. Hallelujah. Investing is one of the best ways to grow wealth over the long term. And with Free Trade, you can start investing from just £2 on their award-winning, simple-to-use trading app. There's no hidden fees, and unlike other brokers, they don't charge any commission fees, so you get to keep more of your profits. It's no surprise Free Trade has been the winner of the British Bank Awards two years in a row, 2019 and 20, 
for best online trading platform. And don't forget, when you invest, your capital is at risk. The value of investments can go up as well as down, and you may receive back less than your original investment. But go to freetrade.io slash nation, and if you register and fund your account, you'll get a randomly allocated free share worth between £3 and £200, such as Greg's Rightmove or Apple. So for more information, visit freetrade.io. Here goes Fernando Alonso towards turn four. Sainz now pulls out to the left-hand side. He is ahead of Sebastian Vettel, and Sainz is now ahead of Fernando Alonso, and Sebastian Vettel is ahead of Fernando Alonso as well. It's swap around after you, now after you. Carlos Sainz just passed his hero, Fernando <laughs> Alonso. The young Spaniard versus the supremely experienced one. I was really interested to just move on to Ferrari for a moment. That Carlos Sainz said to me in the pen, I deliberately took it easy on the first lap. Now, I'm not sure, Damon, what you feel about that as a racer, whether that is even possible, whether that's even part of your psyche. Yeah, yeah, no, I heard that interview. That was fascinating. And I have to say, I was impressed by his honesty uh, because no driver wants to admit they took it easy. But I think he was not uh, afraid of admitting his tactics. You know, his tactics were to get some solid results for Ferrari. You know, the worst thing you can do is come into a new team and then drop the ball and, and make a make a right old mess of it because then you're constantly trying to recover from that that mistake. You can be guilty of overdriving when you're when you go to a new team, you're so desperate to impress. Well this is it. We put the pressure on the journalists Tom, Natalie and all the other guys and girls put the pressure on the drivers and say, oh you know, you're worried about this or that, the way it's going. And if you respond to that if you allow that to be your pressure point, then you're going to be in real difficulty. And I think that Carlos Sainz's uh, response was very mature. He's an incredibly mature guy anyway. And I think that he knows it's a place like Ferrari, for goodness sake, you do not want to be the weakest link. He's approached it in the right way. And I was impressed by that. You think he's approached it in the right way. That's interesting because don't get me wrong. I love Carlos Sainz. I think he's a fantastic interview. I like, I like him as a person and he's very, very quick. But Two instances this weekend made me think, oh, that might have shifted the balance within that team. One was he was brilliantly quick when it didn't matter in qualifying. Brilliant in Q1, Q2. But when it really mattered, Leclerc put it over him. And I don't know whether Leclerc was sandbagging. But when it mattered, he did it. And then, and, and then just contrast those opening laps when you had um, Leclerc's brilliant opening lap getting ahead of Valtteri Bottas. Contrast that with Carlos Sainz. Now, it's great that Carlos is so open, but you just, as a team, if I was, if I was Mattia Binotto, I would much rather a, a driver got into trouble being aggressive and going for it than holding back. Because once you knock the, the sharp edges off that driver, you're going to have someone who's got more potential than the guy who's always a little bit reserved. Well, this is the Gilles Villeneuve philosophy of racing, which is it's flat out or broke, isn't it? You know, it is basically win or bust. Um, I think that Natalie made a very interesting point. It's made me think, actually, about Danny Ricciardo because, you know, and we're talking about Carlos Saints going to a new team. There, there is a bedding in period. It, it, it's a nice idea to turn up to a new team and blow everyone's socks off. Uh, a bit like Max Verstappen did in a way. But, you know, it doesn't always happen that way. And I think that if you constantly change your environment, you're always a visitor. You know, that being part of the team is a big deal because you feel comfortable. You know the politics, you know the way people do that, make their cup of tea, you know, when they, you know, when they have lunch and all that stuff. 
Damon, I take all of that on board, but I would rather have seen him be a little bit more aggressive on the opening that, in summary. It's fine for that, Tom. I I think you need to give him a bit, bit of a break. You know, he's trying to bed in with the most famous team in Formula One history, and there's a huge amount of pressure, as we all know, with Ferrari. Tom's being told to move. Can, uh, I'm looking at a screen. I'm actually seeing Tom. Yeah. You've been told to get out of there, aren't you? They're shutting up shop in the, in Bahrain. The, the freight has been packed. I am the last person here. Natalie's back in her lovely hotel having a glass of wine and you're stuck at the circuit. <laughs> being told to move. They're going to crate you up in a minute and send you home. <laughs> Natalie's dying to get to Ukio, isn't it? I, I can tell. She Did just... you just say Ukio as in Katayama? Oh, sorry, y- Yuki. I'm Egibon. Uh, my, my Japanese is uh, not that good. Yuki. Yuki Sonoda. Yuki, sorry. On the subject of Ukio Katayama, I'll never forget. So he was racing in the mid-90s, right? And, and I'll never forget Michael Schumacher coming back. I think it was after, I think it was the Belgian Grand Prix, sort of late 90s. And he was shaking his head and he, he was telling one of his engineers that Katayama was extraordinary because he said, this track only has 18 corners, but when you follow Ukyo, you feel like it's got 48 because he makes each corner. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh, he's gone on God. to uh, climb lots of mountains and have a, have a, a wonderful life after Formula One. Sorry, but anyway, we're, let, we digress. So Ukyo is climbing mountains and Yuki is scoring points on his Formula One debut, isn't he? I didn't think I could love this guy any more than I already did before the race weekend. First of all, he comes out really punchy on team radio. This is his (laughs) debut weekend in Formula One, and he's swearing about traffic in a practice session. And then he comes out and really... I think did an incredible job. I mean, we we know that the Alpha Tauri is a strong car. Uh, Charles Leclerc was like, "Don't be under any illusions. They have made a massive step over the winter." But for Sonoda to put it in the points on his debut in Formula One and say he's only fifty percent happy with the way the race went—it's only fifty percent of him. So fifty percent for him is most one hundred percent for most people. I'll bear it. He's just the cutest little thing I've ever seen, and I don't mean that in a patronising way. You, do, you mean it in a matronising way? I just—I do. I want to mother him. Ah. Oh. Admit it. I just, I don't know what it is about him. He's, he's tiny, but he's this little ball of muscle. He's incredibly strong and he's fast and he's fiery and he's feisty and he's everything you want in a Formula One racer. He's very confident. I mean, that's, that's really important, isn't it? You know, to actually have the confidence to come into a place and start complaining to the team because they haven't put you out in the right place and trapped in qualifying and stuff straight away. I mean, I, I, when I drove for Frank, you know, I was like, I was nervous of even using the phone. I got told off once. I said, do you mind if I make a phone call? And Frank said to me, he said, don't ask me to use the phone. You know, they were used to people <laughs> abusing them. So uh, I was brought up too correctly but I mean confidence is really important and he's got it he's definitely got it he suffered I I loved it I don't know if it was to you Pinks but after the race when he said um, it was a very emotional moment overtaking Fernando Alonso because 13 years ago he went with his dad to the Fuji Speedway and saw Alonso racing so suddenly to be overtaking him and uh, I just now want to give him a hug as well, Pinks. We're going to be fighting over this guy all year. Yeah, I love that. That's such a racing driver thing to say, isn't it? It was, it was a real honour to overtake <laughs> Fernando Alonso. <laughs> Did you get the contradiction there? Okay, guys. So, any other business? So, I was quite surprised to uh, turn on FP1 
and see uh, the commentary box. And Natalie Pinkham commentating, lead commentator on FP1. How'd it go? Seemed all right from where I was. Well, that's very sweet of you. Um, You know what? Loved it. It was such a buzz. The adrenaline was amazing. It wasn't easy. There was a huge amount of information coming in at every different angle. But thank God for Jensen Button and Karun Chandok, who are great communicators and hugely supportive. And do you know what? I was genuinely overwhelmed by the response on social media, particularly from young women who were like, wow, we've heard a female voice on commentary. It's hard. It's a skill. It's an incredible skill to commentate on live sport. And, you know, everything was coming at me from all angles. What I wanted to try and do was facilitate a conversation and ask questions of Jensen as a world champion and Karun as this encyclopedic knowledge of the sport. And they were amazing. And do you know what? My mum rang me afterwards. She goes, Natalie, or Boo Boo, as she calls me, I'd like you to just go and speak to Jensen and Karun right now, right now for me, because I'd like you to thank them for their kindness because they looked after my little girl today. That's nice. That's a lovely story. And that, that, well, you couldn't have got two nicer guys to, to support you in your, uh, your role as a uh, lead commentator. It's fantastic to get some female voices in the commentary box uh, on the main event. But, you know, you're right. It's not an easy job. Pinks, is, is FP1 harder than the race in a way? Because in the race, but in the race, you're commentating on what is happening in the race in front of you, whereas you've kind of got to make it all up. In FP1, because the on-track no, bits... No, 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 no. I mean, I, I was thinking about that, and I, I just, I find it just, is mind-blowing how Crofty and Martin manoeuvre their way through the race, you know, to, to keep across what everyone's doing and under that pressure and to keep the excitement and energy going throughout. I think that they're, they're, they're just, you know, world-class. So, yeah, it's great, but um, it's much more conversational, I believe, in FP1 because you've got the opportunity to discuss and, and, and for them to explain. That's my room bell going. <laughs> room service. Hang on, Damon, this is brilliant. So Nat's room bell's gone. I'm being kicked out of the media centre here at the track. What's going on at home? Well, hopefully I'm not kicked out of my house. <laughs> and I haven't had room service. Well, no, I have because my son you has have. brought me a lovely yes. glass of red wine. What's all this about? Oh. Ted Kravitz <laughs> us, which I'm delighted. But, you know, it is ten past midnight here in Bahrain. I'd just like to say, I ordered Natalie a lovely sushi platter, and you've kept her waiting from her Don't dinner. Don't tell me the sushi's gone cold. <laughs> Actually, the sushi's gone warm. Your sushi has gone warm. <laughs> I would love to. Okay. Thank you. I'm off. Nice to see you. Cheers, Ted. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad you cleared that one up, Nat. So I think a lot of people listening are thinking, why is Ted knocking on your bedroom door at 10 past 12 in the evening? But Bring me my dinner. I haven't oh. eaten. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't even have lunch today. In fact, I had like a soggy piece of toast at about 11 a.m. That's it. Now, Damon, you've been looking forward to this all week, I know. This is the Ask Damon section. Many thanks to everyone who's already sent their questions. We've had loads of responses, which is wonderful. Please keep that coming. Are you nervous? Are you nervous about what you're about to be asked? You should be. Not really, no, no, because I trust people. I trust our fans. I trust our listeners. (laughs) Let's hear the first question for Damon. Hi, Damon. Um, Jochen from the Netherlands. And I was just wondering, do you think you would have beaten Max Verstappen if he would have been driving in the same year as you have in 96? 
would I have beaten Max Verstappen? Of course, I think I would have done, but we'll never know, which is probably a relief <laughs> because he's, he looks quite good. But um, on my day, I managed to beat Michael Schumacher and he was quite good. So, you know, uh, I like a challenge. Hey, Damon, 60-year-old Damon, if you got yourself fit, where do you think you'd slot in on the grid now? I'll tell you what, Tom, I, my head would fall off after a third of a lap. No, but get yourself fit. Get yourself fit. No, Matt, you don't understand. It's, it's like 5G these cars are pulling. It is a real stress on the body and you need to have a young, fit body. And I don't have a young, fit body anymore. If, if I did get fit, I'd obviously be right up the front. I love this section. Joachim, thank you very much indeed for the question. Excellent question. And uh, we'll hopefully see you in Holland. Any more questions for Ask Damon? Hi, gang. My name's Alex. I love the pod and I've got a question for the champ. Growing up, my brother and I had a favourite video. It was Damon Hill's Wild and Wacky Races. Now, I know Damon loves his bikes, but I'd really love to know, outside of F1, which wild and wacky four-wheeled category Damon would love to have had a go at and why. Perhaps drag racing, truck racing, banger racing. Thanks very much. And here's to a great 2021 season. Alex, do you remember the wild and wa- Damon's wild and wacky races? Actually, it was cool, wasn't it? I, t- I seem to remember there was a scene with a with a pig or, so, or something like that. I don't know. There was it was it was in a studio in Wandsworth, and we and uh, it was it was it was wacky, but it basically uh, had clips of all kinds of forms of motorsport from around the world. I mean, all sorts of weird and wonderful things, and uh, people having great fun, and some of them quite dangerous, look like quite dangerous stunts. But I, I would say of all of them, I wanted, I, I like to have had it. I did truck racing. So truck racing, I can tick that box. I've done that. And the Dakari type thing. I think that, you know, going across the, the desert in one of those uh, buggies, dune buggies looks fantastic fun. I know that Jensen Button does that. He does the, the Baja, uh, but it's, but it's very dangerous. You know that. Or the Parry Dakar. It's not called the Parry Dakar, the Dakar race. Carlos Saints does that. I think you'd probably, you'd, yeah, it'd be much more enjoyable in one of those great big uh, dune buggy things they have. Or drag racing. Well, basically, I'm starting to go through his list, aren't I? Yes, I'd like to have done drag racing. <laughs> Don't forget, if you have got a question for Damon, then make sure you send us a voice note to askdamonhill at gmail.com. If you don't send a voice note, then we can't answer it on the show. Get your voice heard. Well, I think we've got off to a fantastic start there. I hope that everybody listening to this podcast enjoyed our conversation and have got things to say about it and can contribute and send in your messages and voicemail messages and voice messages and basically (laughs) just keep in touch with us because we'll be back next week and looking forward to the next exciting instalment of Formula One. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favourite podcast app so that you don't miss out on any of our new episodes. F1 Nation is produced by Formula One in association with Audioboom. All right, guys, I got to go because I am being kicked out of this press room now here in Bahrain. So see you next week. Safe journey back, Pink. Tom. I got to go. I've got to go, Damon. No, when you go, will you turn the lights off? (laughs) Anyone for warm sushi? You spoil us, Pink. (laughs) See you next week. 
Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.